0: Welcome to Spirit's Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. In this is episode 235, Beauty and the Beast from Myth Movie Night. I'm very excited
1: for this one. It's been a minute since we've done a Disney one, and I... Really love
0: Beauty and the Beast, and I will talk about why in the episode, so no spoilers. I was so delighted to learn more. I was just sort of like, an allegory. It's Beauty falling in love with the Beast. Look within. But there is much more to the story and the history of the story, and I was so, so excited to learn about it. Yeah, I've been really on that fairy tale kick lately, so I'm glad that we've been doing more and more of those. Me too. And I am also so glad that Morgan, Jesse the Zombie, Klingrap, and Mechteld are our newest patrons and here just in time for a Banner Myth Movie Night. You join the ranks of our distinguished supporting producer level patrons, Alicia, Allison, Brian, Deborah, Hannah, Jane, Jessica K, Jessica S, Justin, Keegan, Measelkins, Megan Linger, Megan Moon, Phil Fresh, Polly, Captain Jonathan, Malachi, Cosmos, Sarah, Scott, and Zazie, and Julia. Don't forget. Legend level patrons. Audra, Chimera or Change, Clara, Drew, Jack Marie, J Bebe, Key, Lada, Morgan, Necro Royalty, Taylor, and BMY up Scotty. All of those people, Amanda, they have an enchanted castle, but with none of the downsides. No. Their preserved roses in a uh, in a bell jar never drop any petals. No, not at all. All of their servants, people. <laughs> uh all of their Angela Lansberries, woman. Not teapot. <laughs> not teapot. Amanda, speaking of <laughs> Angela Lansbury. What exciting things have you been watching, (laughs) listening to, reading lately? Because I'm just thinking about Murder, She Wrote Now. I'm thinking about the song A Little Priest from Sweeney Todd. Angela Lansbury wants me to have a meat pie of unknown origin and enjoy myself and so do I. And guys, I've been having a very hard time lately. And something I have found very useful is a book that my friend Taylor recommended called The Upward Spiral Workbook, a practical neuroscience program for reversing the course of depression. And I have not used a ton of like workbooks, you know, self helpy type situations. Like I, you know, go to therapy, have my meds, like I'm, I'm doing all my things. But I find the Upward Spiral Workbook to be a really helpful way to just be like, hey, babe, today, what can you do that will make you feel a little bit better? Maybe it's a walk, maybe it's yoga, maybe it's, you know, eating one thing that you find really good. Maybe it's listening to music that you know you used to like and, and you know, hopefully it will give you a little lift. And I just found this book very useful for kind of like reading a couple pages at a time, trying something, learning something. It's very supportive and nonjudgmental and humorous in a way that like really gets me in the gut where I'm just like, oh, thank you. You understand. So if anybody else is feeling that way, listen, I get you. I believe in you. And maybe you'll find the Upward Spiral workbook to be helpful, too. I know you've said in past episodes
1: that you like to have homework from therapy, and this sounds very much up your alley, given I know that about
0: you. It does. There's parts to color in. teaches you about the brain. You have to color in parts. And I'm just like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to trust that this book probably knows some things, and I'm just going to go along with it, see what works. And, uh, you know, it's been pretty helpful. I'm glad.
1: I'm glad. If you are also, you know, not not feeling your best lately, maybe you need some cheering up. Maybe you need some laughs. Maybe check out our variety of live shows that are available at multitude.production/live. They are live shows that we have the video on demand for. You can
0: still get that video and you can watch uh, us goofing off and having a good time. We try to keep it actually to a tight 90, just like Beauty and the Beast. Mm. In general, it's it's been a super fun thing for us to have done and connect with each other, connect with you all over the last year and change. And something that we're going to uh, intend to keep doing so that no matter where you are in the world, you can enjoy one of our live shows. And all of that is at live. Julia, here goes the podcast with its intro, like always. <laughs> it's time for us to get into it, everybody. Please enjoy spirits podcast episode 235 beauty and the beast myth movie night so amanda
1: when we were discussing the sinbad episode recently we were talking about the kind of animated movie renaissance during the 90s and the early 2000s right oh yeah And it kind of made me think, hey, wow, we haven't done a Disney myth movie night in a while. You'll remember that Hercules was one of our earliest ones. And obviously that one was like chock full of good, good myth content for us to dive into. But a lot of the other Disney movies that are well known, either we've covered before like Mulan or are sort of like classic fairy tales that have been kind of done to death, like Snow White, Shore, Cinderella's got some interesting global elements to it. But then I remembered a lovely email sent in by former guest of the show, Christopher Dole, who you might remember from our Death of Heroes episode. And he suggested that we take a deeper look into actually one of my favorite Disney movies, Beauty and the Beast, which also, by the way, is celebrating its 30th anniversary
0: this year, which is, you know, a great time to revisit now. It's so timely and it is also worth rewatching, Joya, because it has my favorite quality in all of movies. Trust I say it with me? It's tight Tight 90. 90. Tight Tight 90. 90. It's tight 90. It's exactly 90 minutes. It's amazing.
1: Jake has started using tight 90 to sell me on movies where he's like, oh, you should watch yeah. Rush Hour. It's a tight 90. I was like, you know what? You're so I'm sold on it
0: now. Great. And you know what, Julia? Anyone can do a tight 90 of a movie. You can fit it in anywhere. It's amazing. A movie is better, I would say, when it
1: is a tight 90. I look at some movies. I'm like, yeah, I'm interested in that content, but like two and a half hours.
0: Mm, I don't think so. A tight 90. It's two podcast episodes of roughly 45 minute length like spirits. <laughs> it is a manageable drive that barely counts as a long drive. Uh, It's Perfect. (laughs) So today we are visiting the tight
1: 90 1991 Disney classic here. But I do want to take some time to talk about other versions of the story that have been told around the world, as well as the original French fairy tale that was written by Gabrielle Suzanne Barbeau de Villeneuve. Ooh, haven't broken out my French in a while. I thought that was pretty good. (laughs) Madame Kofiliakos would be so proud. Yes, Julia's French teacher was Greek. She was super Greek and also very young and very attractive. It was a problem. Yeah, yeah, it was. But first, Amanda... Recap time and it's been a minute since we've done one of these so I kind of lost track as to whose turn it was so I'm going to tackle <laughs>
0: this one which I really appreciate Julia and as always you have 2 minutes to do this recap and anybody who for some reason doesn't know the plot of Beauty and the Beast you're welcome to skip forward uh by 2 minutes exactly and you will not get any you know plot details I just took a big sip of water I put some chapstick on I'm ready to go Okay so skipper's 2 minutes Julia go We start with a
1: little bit of a prologue where we learn that a rude prince and his very nice staff have been cursed by a witch because he's a rude boy and he'll remain a beast forever until he learns how to love another or be loved in return, but he has to do it before a magical rose loses its last petal. Smash cut to Belle, who's cute, smart, loves reading. Everyone (laughs) in town thinks she's super weird and her dad is also kind of a weirdo inventor. Gaston's the only one who's really like vibing with Belle and it's only because she's hot and she's just not into that. So her dad goes off into the dark woods to show off an invention of his at some fair, but ends up at the Beast's castle who throws him in the dungeon for trespassing. Belle goes out to find her father and also winds up in the castle and is like, let my father go, I'll take his place, which the Beast agrees to. Belle's hot, so she is way better accommodations than her dad got in the dungeon and she ends up meeting all of the castle servants who we now know are enchanted to look like furniture. They are super into Belle being there and are all about maybe getting Belle and the Beast to fall in love in order to break the spell. At one point Belle tries to escape and is attacked by wolves and the Beast saves her and Belle nurses his wounds and this kind of starts off the falling in love montage that Disney loves Maurice who's her dad shows back up in town and is yelling about a beast in a castle which everyone thinks he's just like making that up Maurice heads back to the castle to try to rescue Belle while Belle and Beast are kind of doing their falling in love thing and Beast shows Belle that this like magic mirror which allows her to basically see everything which is a scrying mirror very cool but she sees her father like dying in the woods and is like I gotta go help him and the Beast is in love with her so he's like I can't force you to stay please go. The villagers want to throw Belle's dad into an asylum in some weird plot point so Gaston can marry her but Belle shows them the beast in the mirror and they go all angry mob and they want to kill the beast. Everyone heads back to the castle. Gaston faces off against the beast, stabs him but then falls to his death. The beast is dying in Belle's arms. The final petal of the rose falls but Belle admits she loves the beast and the spell is undone and everyone returns back to normal and the beast is somehow less hot as a human in the end.
0: He is. He's less hot as a human. Well
1: done Julia. Exactly two minutes, a tight two. Damn, I'm good. What can I say? So, I love the Disney movie version. Amanda, we were talking about this earlier when you rewatched it. Tell me about the Disney movie version and your experience with it.
0: Well, this is my dad's favorite movie. Uh, it came out the year before I was born. And he would watch this a lot as when I was a little baby. And then my sibling Connor followed. Uh, and they had two kids under two. And would just watch this over and over again. And he loves it a lot. And so I was just going in. I really not having watched it since I was a little kid. I can't even remember sitting down to watch it. It was just sort of like always vaguely familiar. It was lovely. I'm always surprised by the kind of humor in children's movies, specifically these Disney Golden Age movies, where there's like there's stuff going on in the background of the frame. You know mm-hmm. there are there are people living their lives like little jokes, like a mom with like too many kids trying to buy eggs. You know, and it makes me laugh now. Whereas child me would be following, you know, the protagonist or listening to the song. Mm-hmm. I am amazed that that teapot looks so much like Angela Lansbury. <laughs> that was really mainly does. what I was thinking about throughout this movie. <laughs> it's like they cast her and then they designed the teapot around her instead of vice versa. I bet they did. As well, they should. You also said he got surprisingly emotional in the in
1: the plot. <laughs>
0: I did. You know, it just, it hit me hard just in my, my week, my day. I've been having a very hard time. Um, and I think the images of people being tender toward each other and of this staff, like, let's lay aside for a moment, the sort of like classism of like, there's a servant class and okay. But seeing these staff members who clearly care very much about the beast, be so tender toward him and him being receptive to that and sort of, um, learning from them and like taking their love as a cue to perhaps turn that onto himself just really hit me hard. And I I thought it was absolutely lovely.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. We're not going to talk about that as much. But I feel like we can apply that lens to some of the other versions of the story that we're going to talk about today. Obviously, like people are going to bring up the kind of lukewarm Stockholm syndrome is bad take with these stories, but other people have talked about this before who probably have much more intelligent things to say than I do. So we're just going to jump right into the meat of it and talk about the original fairy tale. So like I said, it was originally written by Gabrielle Suzanne Barbeau de Villeneuve, and it was published in 1740. This, of course, is the first written version of the story as the story was like originally a oral tradition and kind of was inspired by a bunch of different things, which we'll talk about later. Villeneuve's story is obviously, as is true with most Disney adaptations, wildly different from the story that Disney presented in their film. Villeneuve's original version was actually quite long and a little bit complicated. In fact, it was like written as a novel for like the salon sect during this like 1740s Paris vibe. Wow. Isn't that neat? Yeah. When everyone was like, coffee, so exotic. Let us sit in a room and drink it. Yes. And talk about uh, things and ideas. But yeah, it, it was basically written for that. I'll tell you the exact length and stuff like that later on. Oh, good. The more popularized version that we know is actually the rewritten and abridged version by Jean-Marie Le Prince de Beaumont in 1756, and that was later popularized by Andrew Lang in the Blue Fairy Book in 1889. This is a long novel. It is over 300 pages long. I am giving you the TLDR version of the tale. It's the opposite of Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, which much shorter than you would think. Much shorter than you would think. But this one, much longer than you would think. The shortened version that Beaumont put out was like 27 pages. This one, I believe, was 352.
0: Oh, my word. This is in in the way that like a reverse Benjamin Button situation is just aging. This is a a reverse Frankenstein, which is, yeah, it probably was longer than the abridged version, you know?
1: Yeah. So in this version, Belle translated to beauty, but we're going to call her Belle because that's the French word for beauty. And also I know Belle from the movie Beauty and the Beast, it's just easier to follow. In this version, she is the youngest of 12 children, six sons and six daughters, and her father is a widowed merchant. The plot kind of starts with this catastrophe as the merchant is robbed by pirates and the pirates sink all of his ships, which kind of forces the whole family to have to move to the country and now like work for a living instead of just making money off mercantile businesses Belle is like okay well i'm gonna make the best of this situation and i refuse to get down about this like i'm not gonna like wallow in self-pity or anything i'm just gonna like do what i gotta do but her older siblings kind of see this attitude and think well this is bullshit you shouldn't be so happy about our state of affairs now we're gonna make you do all the work which you Uh. know Belle. Just kind of rolls with it, but it's a very like Cinderella kind of moment here. See, Julia, she's not just beautiful in looks, but in character. She is. She is. As is most of the classic fairy tale protagonists, I feel like. Yeah. So their father, a year later, finds out that one of his ships actually managed to escape from the pirates, and so he sets out to the big city to claim his ship back. He asks all of his kids if they would like any gifts from his travels, and all of his sons are like, swords, horses, bows. And all the daughters are like, dresses, jewels, perfume. All but Belle, who is like, I'm good, I don't need anything though, thanks dad. But the merchant insists, and she's like, fine, just be safe, that is your gift to me, and if you must bring me something back, I would like you to bring me back a rose. Okay. So the father sets off, but the problem is that the ship and the cargo have been seized to kind of pay off his debts. So all of his sure. hopes are dashed and he's unable to buy any of the gifts for his children that he had promised them. Not great.
0: Very disappointing. No. Not how you thought the trip would go.
1: No. Returning home, he gets caught up in a storm in the forest and tries to seek shelter in this mysterious castle. He sneaks in and he finds that it's empty of people, but finds that the table is set full of like food and drinks, which he kind of just indulges in. He's like, this is my house now.
0: Don't drink the fairy drink. Don't eat the fairy food. We've been over this. Yeah. So he sleeps
1: there that night. And in the morning before he leaves, he sees that the castle has this beautiful rose garden. How convenient. Remembering that he couldn't buy any of the gifts for his children, but knowing that Belle had requested the rose, he picks one. Immediately, he gets accosted by the beast who tells Uh him that this is his castle and that theft of his property is punishable by death. Sure. Including roses. Sure. The merchant tries to kind of like beg off saying like, he was only taking a rose as a gift for his daughter. And the beast is like, fine, since you've already plucked the rose, you may take it to your daughter. But only if you bring me your daughter in exchange for the rose. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He also makes it very clear in the story that Belle has to agree to come to him and he's not going to treat her as a prisoner but rather as a fiance should she agree to the situation but if she doesn't agree to the situation then the beast will kill the entire family and he is just like fully a beast he's like a, like a beast man he's just a beast man in the summary that I was reading because obviously I didn't read all 352 pages of this they didn't specify like what kind of beast he was there's some artwork that's really interesting that I'll show you in a little bit the various versions have had him be different animals like I'll tell you later about a bear version and a wolf version and some like very oddly specific uh, combinations of animals that you will absolutely <laughs> love. Oh, great. So the merchant super reluctantly agrees and the beast sends him back to his home on a magical horse laden with beautiful wealth and gifts and jewels that the merchant has promised his children upon his return. But stresses like, hey, don't tell Belle the deal that we made in exchange for her. Otherwise, she might not like me or whatever. I mean, yeah. (laughs) But almost... As soon as the merchant gets home, Belle is able to kind of get the truth out of him as to where he got all of these gifts. And the brothers of the family are like, hey, let's go kill this beast before he can kill us or take our sister away. And the sisters are like, this is Belle's fault because she asked for the rose. This is bullshit. This is all her fault. And Belle is like, okay, fuck this. I'll go to the beast so y'all will stop harassing our father or putting yourself or all of us in danger. And the merchant is like, okay, reluctantly allows her to go. Okay. So Belle arrives at the palace and the beast is like so hyped that she's actually there. That is adorable. He totally attempts to woo her. He throws her a big welcoming ceremony. There's a cabaret performance. He gives her lavish gifts and holds a all these like tremendous banquets for her. And he'll like engage her in long conversations. And then over dinner every night, he would ask her if she would marry him or in some translations, sleep with him. Okay. One or the other. But tells her that she may answer yes or no without fear. Like no matter what the answer is, there weren't going to be like repercussions to it.
0: Okay. I mean, so far I'm seeing a lot of really good uh, sort of boundaries and communication going on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So she continues to turn him down. But at night, she keeps having these dreams of a handsome prince whom she dances with while she's sleeping. Oh, And this happens for a while and then one night a woman or a fairy again depending on the translation appears to Belle in her dream and is like hey why do you keep refusing the beast and Belle's like i'm not in love with him i like him as a friend and the fairy is like okay i guess but also don't be fooled by appearances and Belle's like confused she has not made the connection that the prince in her dreams is the beast mm-hmm this version of Belle doesn't put two and two together, not as smart as the the Disney version. But she kind of comes to this conclusion that like, oh, the prince that I'm in love with in my dreams, he must be a prisoner of the beast and is hidden somewhere in the castle. Mm,
0: he's hidden within.
1: Yes. For a month, she spends time searching the castle for this lost prince. And like in the process, she finds a beautiful libraries full of books, an aviary full of magical birds that can like chirp her name and greet her on site. <laughs> There's like a bunch of windows that actually will act out like pantomime stage plays with like dances and music cues and lighting cues and everything. Sick TV, Belle. I imagine this is like a good hundred pages of the novel. Not gonna lie. Yeah. I mean, that's what fantasy is for, no? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So after a month of staying with the Beast, though, she begins to miss her family terribly and begs the Beast to allow her to see her family. The Beast is kind of sad about this, but reluctantly agrees. There's a lot of it reluctantly agreeing in this story. <laughs> so long as Belle promises that she returns after exactly two months. Belle agrees, and the Beast places a ring upon her finger that will magically return her back to him when the two months are up.
0: Convenient.
1: Convenient. So Belle shows back up at home and all of her siblings and her father are like, damn girl, you actually look really good. Like you're well fed and you look well rested and you're dressed in beautiful clothes? Question mark? It's like (laughs) having a glow up and then going home for a like Thanksgiving or Christmas.
0: Yeah. And like depending on their financial situation, like in the Michael Jordan documentary, my main takeaway was that Scottie Pippen had a seven inch growth spurt in college because he had like nutrition and like was a, was fed what he needed. I sort of thought about Scotty, as I often do in this instance. All right. Let's let's think about
1: Belle though instead of Scotty <laughs> Pippen because now all I can picture is Scotty Pippen dancing in that dress with the beast.
0: So, he's a great figure.
1: So, Belle is kind of just playing it off like, yeah, it's not so bad there, and her father's like, well, you should marry him then. Yeah. <laughs> Again, just like going home for Thanksgiving or Christmas,
0: just like going home for the holidays and but however, in this scenario, it's like if you can find a pretty tolerable marriage, you are like head and shoulders above many people. Yeah
1: bell is like no i don't love him and the father and the brothers are like well we'll figure out a way so you don't have to go back but bell knows like i made this promise and i intend to honor it bell spends the two months with her family and as it gets closer to her time to return she begins to like hallucinate these images of the beast lying dead in his chambers which obviously freaks her out yeah and so she uses the ring that the beast gave her to transport herself back to the castle and it turns out what she was seeing was the truth because the beast has died of shame oh because bell chose to stay with her family rather than return back to him like he was like i must have been such a terrible host and she must not
0: like me and i just i'm so embarrassed i'm going to die now so he expected her to come back early or he saw with his scrying that she was just like enjoying herself and wanted to stay i think he
1: expected her not to spend the whole two months like Mm. he was like i hope she misses me and comes back early and the fact that she didn't he died of shame Oh my God. (laughs) So Belle is distraught and begins to cry over his body, saying that she made the wrong choice and that she should have learned to love the beast for who he was rather than how he looked. Classic. Yeah. However, as she says these words, the beast transforms back into the handsome prince from Belle's dreams and reveals the whole plot about how the enchantress turned him into a hideous beast because he was so selfish and that like true love would free him from the curse. So they marry, they live happily ever after, the end. H-E-A, as we say
0: in romance, happily ever after. Of course, a classic.
1: One quick aside, something that I love about the art from this version of story, like instead of the magical Disney transformation with like light and sparkles and smoke, the art from, for example, Europa's fairy book, which uh, tells this version of the tale, shows the beastly skin kind of falling off the beast like he was wearing a fursuit the whole time. And that imagery delights me to no end.
0: (laughs) That is delightful. I'm going to share it with you real quick. Like a Tootsie Pop. (laughs) (laughs)
1: it's very good right
0: he's leaving his job as a mascot for like a a high school (laughs) baseball team
1: oh no amanda beauty and the beast but where
0: the beast is gritty who's in gritty no one knows look look within look within gritty to the to the chaos queer within oh bless
1: oh someone make me fan art of beauty and the beast but it's with gritty instead of the beast i beg of you please So Amanda, that is the original Villeneuve version. The original version, like I said, full novel, 262 pages. I was wrong before, 262 pages. Like I mentioned earlier, it was shortened by Jean-Marie Le Prince de Beaumont after Villeneuve's death and was rewritten to kind of like teach a moral lesson. Because if I'm remembering correctly, Beaumont was like a teacher for young English girls who had moved to France with their rich families. Classic. So she was like, well, this story obviously
0: has to have a moral, clearly. Gotta teach some English morals in this French, you know, rogues land.
1: (laughs) Another interesting aspect from Villeneuve's version that I didn't really get a chance to mention while summarizing, the concept of the beast that is used by Villeneuve actually has a dual meaning, which I think is really cool. So the French word for beast, which is bête, means both a beast as in like a monster or a creature, but it also means like creature that lacks intelligence. So there's a bit of like a side plot here where the enchantress who cursed him made it so that no one would love him because one, he was both monstrous and two, because a potential partner would not know if he had like real human intelligence or not. Hmm. And there's one part in the novel where Belle is kind of like having one of those long conversations with beasts that they would have over dinner. And she goes to the side, she's like, to herself, she's like, well, he's not really like beastly, but he is like just not smart. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, oh, the beast is a himbo. Got it, got it. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. (laughs) Respects women. A little bit dumb. Yeah. Hot later. That's fine. fine. (laughs) Also in Villeneuve's full novel version, there's a subplot where Belle's mother was a fairy who fell in love with a merchant and was punished to never see her family again. And so the woman slash fairy who comes to Belle in her dream is implied to be Belle's aunt. So Villeneuve's version, complicated as hell. Makes sense. There's 362 pages
0: of it. Damn.
1: On the other hand, Beaumont's version is extremely pared down in comparison and definitely hits the kind of traditional fairy tale beats more than the full novel version. So in Beaumont's version, there are only six siblings, three sons, three daughters. The plot remains very similar, but Beaumont kind of rushes through the beautiful descriptions of the palace and just like kind of straight goes to
0: Belle returning home to visit her family. I love that this sort of like abridging of the story, it's like packing a carry-on versus packing a checked bag where instead of like six t-shirts you only need three cut those kids in half only six kids
1: the only reason you would include all six or i guess all 11 siblings is to like really drive home the fact that you went from like very rich and wealthy and now all of your children you know you have mouths to feed totally that's wild In this version of the story, the sisters, like, kind of cruelly attempt to convince Belle to stay with them for longer, hoping that she'll incur the wrath of the beast and that she'll be eaten
0: by him. Oh, my.
1: Yeah. The, The
0: evil sisters are such a concept in fairy tales, and it blows my mind. Yeah, we might have to interrogate this further and find someone who's written about it, because, like, I understand in, you know, in Shakespeare and in sort of, like, political related reasons why brothers would be like this to each other, but... I don't know why, I mean, apart from just like misogyny, like we would read this into women so much. I think part of it has to do with
1: the fact that she is the youngest daughter, but also is like the quote unquote prettiest. Got it. So typically in these kind of families, you would have to marry off the oldest daughter first and then the middle daughter and then the youngest. So in like situations like this where it's like, oh, well, our youngest sister is the most like sought after. It incurs a lot of like tension between siblings in that way.
0: Yeah, it could be socially embarrassing depending on the time period, and also financially ruinous because yeah. the sort of like marriage prospects and like marriageability and social capital of the family would be impacted if a younger daughter got married before an older one. Exactly.
1: To kind of finish up Beaumont's version of the story, it ends in a similar way, Belle returning to find the beast dying and bring him back to life by admitting her love to him. Now, these are the versions of the story that we are most familiar with, of course, but I'm really excited to explore other versions and some potential inspirations for this story just as soon as we get back from the refill. Let's go. Amanda, I still spend so much time at home to the point where my home needs to be my cozy little paradise. You know what I mean? If I'm going out, I'm already really tired by the time I'm getting back to my house, and I want to feel relaxed when I return home. So I want extra soft sheets. I want super plush towels for when I'm getting out of the bath. I want loungewear so I'm always comfy when I'm, you know, just hanging around in my loungewear clothes. And thankfully, Amanda, I get the best of all of that because I get my stuff from Brooklinen. So Brooklinen was started to create beautiful, high-quality home essentials that don't cost you an arm and a leg. And y'all, they succeeded. They did it they did it. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without the luxury level markups, and you get their amazing array of products at a reasonable price. I am talking about buttery soft, as Amanda loves to put it, breathable sheets. I'm talking about plush and absorbent towels. I'm talking cozy robes. I'm talking comfy loungewear that you want to put on and never take off. And they are so confident in their core products that they have a 365-day warranty, and their fans are confident about it, too. They have
0: received over 75,000-plus five-star reviews and counting. So give yourself the comfort refresh you deserve and get it for less at Brooklinen. Go to brooklinen.com and use promo code SPIRITS to get $20 off with a minimum purchase of $100. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter promo code SPIRITS for 20 bucks off with a minimum purchase of $100. That's brooklinen.com promo code SPIRITS. Get those buttery softs. Julia, I recently asked Twitter, is there a good bralette or <laughs> soft bra for bigger boobs? do they exist? Like, somebody please help me. And I got dozens and dozens of replies because lots of people are looking for this specific thing. And after a lot of trial and error, do you want to guess where genuinely my favorite bralette is from? I'm going to guess because I have all of their bras as well. Third Love? It was from Third Love, and I was so happy that Third Love came through and was genuinely so much softer, better, and better fitting for me and my body than any of the other bralettes that I tried. I have the adjustable strap wireless bra, Mm -hmm. and I was looking for kind of like soft support, like not, you know, not a sports bra kind of thing, but, you know, holding everything in place, breathable, thin, nothing is sticking out, Julia. There's no tags. There's no wires. The straps do not cut in, but they do have straps that depending on, you know, either how high you want them to be or how your shoulders are built, you can make it fit exactly for you. And I was just absolutely delighted uh, that that was true. I feel like after a year and a half, we deserve coziness and comfiness, no
1: matter what we're wearing.
0: I completely agree. And honestly, the fact that there's no tags would make it worthwhile. But they're also just very, very customizable. And there are those excellent half cups that we love so much. There's comfort. There's quality. You're not going to want to like get home immediately and like rip off your bra like I do most of the time with third love. So you deserve, as they say, some TLC. That's third love comfort. <laughs> Go to thirdlove.com spirits now to get 20% off your first purchase. That's third, T-H-I-R-D, love, L-O-V-E, dot com spirits for 20% off today. Julia, um, partner in Life Love and Podcasting, Eric Silver and I went on a, a trip recently away for a few days. When we got home, the last thing we wanted to do was cook because we were just like, oh my God, we just drove for so long. I just really want to be here. And I turned to Eric and I was like, Eric, what if we just got a lot of sushi? And he was like, exactly what I want. So open the DoorDash app and was able to order sushi from our local sushi place just two blocks away. Yes, I had it delivered and did not pick it up because I wanted to do stuff around the house. And sometimes you are able to do that. And you can do that with DoorDash, which I absolutely love. Yeah, DoorDash connects you with restaurants like yours, Amanda, that you
1: love right now and right to your door. And now you can get grocery essentials as well through DoorDash. You can get drinks, you can get snacks, you can get household items delivered in under an hour. And ordering is super easy. You open that DoorDash app, Like you said, you choose what you want from where you want, and your items will be left safely outside your door with contactless delivery drop-off setting. And with over 300,000 partners in the US, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your neighborhood go-to's or choose from your favorite national restaurants. And for a limited time, our listeners get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code CREEPYCOOL, all one word. That's 25% off up to a $10 value and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code CREEPYCOOL. Don't forget, that's code CREEPYCOOL, all one word, for 25% off your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. Subject
0: to change, terms apply. Well, everybody, let's get back to the show.
1: So my instinct, since so much of this plot kind of evolves around the rose, was to make a rose-flavored cocktail. But I got to be honest with you, Amanda. I think rose is pretty overpowering in cocktails. So... We're going to do a little play on words here and we're going to make a rosé wine cocktail.
0: Oh, I love it. Julia, something about that first day when you can walk outside your house without a jacket on makes me crave a crisp rosé. As it should, honestly. And (laughs) like you said, because it's summertime,
1: I love getting watermelon in the mix. Like the minute it starts getting warm out, I'm like, where's the watermelon though? I really need some.
0: Yeah. Early in quarantine, we drank a lot of tequila watermelon drinks based on your uh, recommendation. And it's, you know, it's delish makes me happy
1: so this is my version of a froze cocktail so Rosé, obviously. Splash of vodka. Gin if you want. I like the vodka because it doesn't take away from the kind of rosé flavor. A splash of watermelon juice, which you can juice yourself, but places like Trader Joe's sell it this time of year, so it's worth getting. And then just a little bit of mint to garnish. It's really refreshing, like a castle garden after a storm. (laughs) So with our frosé in hand, let's dig into the different versions and inspiration for Beauty and the Beast. Let's start with inspiration. I think just from the story itself, you can probably see some elements of another story that we've talked about here on the show before, which is the story of Eros and Psyche. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You'll see kind of familiar beats in the story. There's the like, quote unquote, kidnapping. There's a, a lack of love because of appearance or lack of, in Eros's case, it's uh, just a fully lack of appearance because he's invisible <laughs> when he's with her. The kind of spiteful siblings who wish to doom their sister out of jealousy and then eventual love between the two.
0: Yeah, there's something there's some kind of joke here. I'm trying to get at Julia about like happy pride. You too can be in a disembodied himbo.
1: <laughs> Can't we all be disembodied himbo's really what a fantasy man if only if only <laughs> so another clear inspiration for beauty and the beast comes from an Italian fairy tale called the pig king. Oh, so the Pig King was written by Giovanni Francesco Straparola around 1550 as part of, quote, the
0: facetious Knights of Straparola. Oh, my God. Is this is this a like Jersey Shore spin-off? What's happening? Gosh, I wish. But
1: <laughs> it was just 75 Italian fairy tales all included in a publication. Damn it. In The Pig King, it's one of those classic, oh, a king and queen are married but have not yet been able to have children kind of beginnings that most fairy tales tend to have. We start to get into the plot one day when the queen is sleeping in her garden and three fairies come upon her. Mm. There's a lot of fairies. (laughs) So each of the fairies decides we're going to give her a gift. The first is like, I'm going to give her a son and the gift that no man can harm her. Okay. Useful. The next is like, I'm going to make it so that no one can ever offend her. And also her son will have every virtue. Every? Every virtue.
0: Wow. I'm getting real Tatterhood vibes here from this scenario. It
1: does. It does. And then finally, the third fairy was like, you, my queen, will be very, very wise. But also, hey, that son that we gave you is going to be a pig until he gets married three times. Oh, no.
0: Th- what? Three? <laughs>
1: Oh, my God. So really playing into the rule of three magic number situation here. Yeah.
0: Concurrently, consecutively. What are we talking about here? We'll see. We'll see, won't we? (laughs) Oh, no.
1: Also remembering that like the mortality rate of people was not super great around this time. So, you know, their spouse would die and then they would end up getting remarried. It happens. Totally. So the queen becomes pregnant and gives birth. And of course, the child she has is a literal pig. Okay. Okay. Just a little piglet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The king is uh, flabbergasted, but decides that he is going to raise the pig as his own son. Good on you, king. The pig's son grows up and he's able to like talk and is intelligent, but is also prone to like pig-like things like wallowing in the mud. (laughs) Again, happy pride. Which is the cutest thing ever. Just a little crown and he's like a pig wallowing in the mud. So cute. So
0: cute. Like, learning his Latin, like, let me just do a quick dust roll over here.
1: As he grew older, the pig son told his mother that he wanted to marry. And the queen was like, I don't know if anyone's going to want to marry a pig. But he begged and he begged. And finally, the queen persuaded this old woman to give her eldest daughter up for marriage. You know, because you could go to the peasantry and be like, your daughter, she shall come with me and marry my pig son.
0: And the woman's like, okay, I guess it's this or probably very bad consequences for me and my family.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's really what it is. It's like, listen, you'll be rich and taken care of if you marry this pig son. So the girl is like, actually, I hate this. But what I'll do is I'm going to kill the pig son on our wedding night or the pig prince. At this point, he's a pig prince. He's no longer just like a young young pig, not a
0: piglet. (laughs) No longer a piglet in, in short pants. So she's like, okay,
1: well, if I kill him and... I'm already married to him. Obviously, I will, you know, inherit the title and all of his money and whatnot.
0: I don't know it would have worked out that
1: way, but let's see what happens. Yes. They get married. The girl attempts to kill the pig prince. He defends himself and stabs her with his hooves, killing her instead. I mean, that went bad. Yeah. But that's one marriage down. One down. So the second daughter of the old woman attempts the same thing after she is persuaded into marrying him as well and dies in a similar fashion.
0: Why do they want to kill this nice pig? Because they don't want to be
1: married to a pig, I guess. They don't know that he's a nice pig. That's the problem. They're not trying to get to know this pig. Mm, I see. So finally, the youngest daughter volunteers to marry the pig prince. And unlike her sisters, she does not try to kill him on the night of their wedding. Instead, she was very kind and polite and returned his affections. And it was then that the prince revealed the secret of his form, that he could take off his pig skin and become a handsome man when he was in her bed. Oh, my. Oh, my.
0: Only in bed? Isn't the curse
1: lifted? Every morning he had to put the pigskin back on and resume his beastly form. But his wife was like really happy to have him as a husband. She's like, this is a nice, kind man with all the virtues in the world. And uh, my other sisters just didn't get to know him. They only saw the pig. So eventually she becomes pregnant and gives birth, and the child that she bore was a son who was fully human. Nice. Which the king and the queen are obviously confused that the child is fully human given the nature of their son. And so the wife reveals that the pig prince has the secret about being able to take off his pig skin to, you know, do the deed and then has to put it back on. Probably not just do the deed, just to sleep in her bed. Let's Yeah, speak. just a cuddle. Yeah. So one evening when the prince and his wife are sleeping in her bed, the king comes into the room and destroys the pigskin while they're sleeping.
0: No, have Selkies taught us nothing? No, but
1: actually, this is what breaks the curse on the prince, and the king abdicates his throne, the son takes the throne. So he was then now known as King Pig and lived a long and happy life with his wife and child. So obviously, you can see the similarities between this and Beauty and the Beast, though in this instance, the Beast slash Pig King uh, were not being punished or cursed for any particular reason, unlike the Beast and Beauty and the Beast. Damn. And you also kind of get that like magical transformation at night situation, Mm -hmm. which we also saw in the story of Psyche and Eros, where he would become visible and corporeal in order to sleep next to her at night. Also related to this is the Norwegian fairy tale, which is East of the Sun, West of the Moon, which was included in the Andrew Lang Blue Fairy book as well. In this story, the White Bear, who I think is a reference to the other Norwegian story, which is White Bear King Valamon, but I'm not 100% sure, but this bear is the white bear in this story and not a white bear in this story. Just to clarify, I feel like we're supposed to know who he
0: is, but uh, I don't. Not for us. I'm sure Norway will write in. They go very hard for fairy tales. Yes. Lots of nighttime in the winter time to think about fairy tales. (laughs) It's true. It's true.
1: So the white bear approaches a poor peasant and says, if you give me your youngest and prettiest daughter to be my wife, (laughs) I will make you very rich. I mean... Yeah, obviously neither of us are parents. If some large magical bear came to your door and was like, "Does your uh, youngest child want to marry me, and uh, y- you'll be real rich after that?"
0: <laughs> how would you feel? Scholars of childhood have talked about how the idea of a childhood and like being able to like be a child is relatively new, at least in the kind of like colonial British and you know American sort of culture and. I think earlier, kids were a lot more practical. You know, it was more labor on the farm, more odds that someone would survive to take care of you, the ability to, you know, keep your family name going on, things like that, or keep property in your family. Maybe it was less of a thing. I imagine people have always loved their kids and wanted the best for them. But I don't know, maybe the realities of needing to somehow survive, uh, you know, and like having no one to rely on, I don't know. This is a time period where like sometimes a parent would leave for
1: several years to find work and then bring money home to their family so it wouldn't surprise me if you know this was a fairly common thing not not giving your child to a bear but someone coming and being like hey i need a wife would you like that and i will give you dowry for this this person yeah it's big sacrifices that people continue to make yeah so the man agrees to this bear's proposal and manages to convince his daughter that this is a good idea so the bear leaves and then comes back and takes the daughter back to his enchanted castle great enchanted castle awesome damn not bad you wouldn't think that a bear would have an enchanted castle but here we are
0: you know something i forgot in the uh, animated movie is how sick that castle is it's It's a sick sick. castle it's pretty (laughs) dope so
1: similar to the pig king the white bear can take off his bear skin when he came to her bed and so he could sleep with her as a man but much like psyche and eros because it was dark she was unable to see what her husband actually looked like Got it. So like in Beauty and the Beast, the daughter eventually becomes homesick and the bear agrees to allow her to visit home on the condition that she never speak with her mother while alone, only when they are around other people. What? Why? You'll find out soon enough.
0: No. Because
1: of course she isn't able to do that. And so her mother, when she gets her alone, asks her about her new husband and she reveals the whole situation about, you know, my husband's a bear, but he comes to me as a man at night, but I've never seen him. Come on, put two and two together. What do you think he didn't want you to talk about, huh? After this whole situation, this whole reveal, the mother convinces her daughter that she actually married a troll. No. So she gives her daughter some candles so that she may light them and see her husband next time he sleeps in her bed. Again, just like Eros and Psyche. You'll see what I mean. Even to the point where it's like her sisters give her the the lantern so that she may see what he looks like. The daughter goes back to the castle, lights the candles next time she shares the bed with her husband, but spills some of the Wax onto his chest, which wakes him up. And I should mention, very handsome man, not a troll. Of course. So the prince is livid and he reveals that he had been cursed and that as she had waited a year to see him, he would have been freed from that curse. No. But now he has to return to his wicked stepmother, the person who cursed him in the first place. And that stepmother lives in a castle east of the sun, west of the moon, hence the name of the story, and was planning on marrying the prince off to her troll princess daughter when he returned.
0: Oh, damn. Again, communication, guys. You could have just said this right up front. Everyone would be on board. You wouldn't be scared. You'd be allies in this instead of enemies. Oh my.
1: But I feel like in this scenario, he probably couldn't be honest about it. It might have been part of the curse where he like couldn't explain like, oh, yes, I am a real man. Also, I feel like if a bear
0: told me I'm a real man, I would not believe them. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. If that was part of the conditions and like I completely understand. But so often in fairy tales and in romance novels, which are <laughs> in some ways modern fairy tales, talking is too easy. <laughs> and if you would talk, there'd be no plot.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Everyone has deep secrets that they can't reveal to anyone else because otherwise they won't like me. The trope that makes me the most antsy and anxious is when there is like an underhanded motive for beginning to like court each other or see each other or want to get married. And then over time, you're like, oh, fuck, I actually want this. And you can say like, hey, this is not how this started for me, but it's how it is. But instead, worst case scenario, you know, your, your partner or your intended finds out about it otherwise and then the trust is broken and has to be repaired. Anyway.
1: But if there wasn't that, Amanda, there would be no plot. But Julia, why can't I just read things with no conflict and only happy? (laughs) I feel that. I feel that. So with this big reveal, the white bear prince disappears and thus starts a whole journey that the daughter has to set out upon to find him and rescue him from the castle east of the sun, west of the moon, which is such a long name. (laughs) for that castle. So she meets an old woman playing with a golden apple who lends her a horse and the apple and then sends her off to a neighbor who might be able to help her find the castle. That neighbor cannot, but gives her a golden comb and sends her to another neighbor who might know how to get there. The next neighbor Also does not know how to get there, but gives her a golden spinning wheel and a horse that will be able to reach the east wind because surely
0: the east wind would know how to reach the castle, right? It's just like that one quest in Stardew. Stardew heads, you know what I'm talking about. That's not what they're called. I just, I just made it up. So turns
1: out the East Wind had never been to the castle and did not know how to get to the castle, east of the sun, west of the moon, but tells her to visit his brother, the West Wind, who is stronger. The West Wind also has never been, brings her to the South Wind, the South Wind brings her to the North Wind, and the North Wind is like, well, I blew a leaf there once and it exhausted me, but if you really (laughs) want to go, all of my siblings have vouched for you, so I'll take you there. Wow. The daughter arrives at the castle, and as the troll princess is walking by, she takes out the golden apple that she had been gifted. The troll princess sees the golden apple and immediately wants to buy it. She's like, that Mm. is a cool apple. I want it. (laughs) The daughter agrees, but names her price, which is the chance to sleep with the prince. Okay. So the troll princess is like, "Mm, suspicious, but okay. (laughs) And in secret, before the daughter arrives, gives the prince a sleeping potion so that when the daughter is there with him, she cannot wake him up. Oh, wow. So the same thing happens the next day, this time with the golden comb instead of the apple. And the scene kind of plays out the same. However, the daughter, you know, when she's trying to wake up the prince is weeping and calling out to him and the servants of the castle hear all of this go down. And so they tell the prince the next day once he's woken up. And when the daughter does the same thing as the past two nights, this time with the golden spinning wheel, the troll princess once again gives him the sleeping potion, but the prince is like now aware of that and doesn't drink it. And so he is awake
0: when the daughter arrives. Never drink things. That's my that's my uh, hot take. takeaway. <laughs> that's my takeaway.
1: So the prince, therefore, is able to tell her how she can save him. So he's like, I'm going to declare that I will marry anyone who can wash the wax stains out of my shirt, knowing that the trolls would not be able to do so. Which side note, it doesn't mention why. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> trolls like
0: can't clean or something or are bad at laundry or it's just like a generational secret or no one told them i mean there are tricks like you gotta learn the salt trick and the baking soda trick
1: i'm now picturing all of the trolls wearing pink because every time they try to do their whites a red sock always manages to sneak in (laughs) i love that so anyway he declares this in front of the the troll kingdom or whatever and the youngest daughter is able to clean his shirt and they get married Nice. But this puts the trolls into a rage, and in their rage, they just explode. Oh,
0: not a thing I knew about trolls, I guess. The, the
1: summary that I was reading uh, said burst, which is very <laughs> funny, like they're made of balloons. Oh. And so the prince and his bride are able to escape the castle and return to their home in the other enchanted castle to live, of course, happily ever after. H-E-A, baby. H-E-A. So these two stories are great examples of the kind of tale that inspired our Beauty and the Beast, but there are plenty of other variations and versions that came after. So in France, there is the white wolf, which involves a singing rose, and the wolf actually dies at the end. Fun. Oh. Oh, no. There is also the French story, which is The Lovely Rose, which stands out only because of how buck wild the description of the beast is. So <laughs> in this story, the beast has mastiff jaws, like the the dog, yeah. lizard legs, and a salamander body.
0: Oh, no. That salamander
1: body. It's quite a combo, honestly. In Portugal, there is a version of the story where Beauty asks for, quote, a slice of roach off a green meadow instead of a rose, though otherwise the story remains quite similar until her
0: father actually dies, which is why she is late to return to the beast. And that's what causes him to die. It's like this thing in modern sci-fi TV shows and stuff where like the world must be imperiled, you know, like not just a person, a family, a town, like the world must like End, yes. you know, as the only stakes that matter. I feel like they had to get like worse and worse and worse with their descriptions of like the beast or adding in deaths or like, oh, she just wanted a nasty cockroach.
1: I'm not sure if it was like cockroach. If you're listening to this and uh, you know what a, a roach is in terms of this story, you just uh, let me know. Also, in this story, when the beast dies, She doesn't bring him back to life by admitting her love. And in fact, the Beast curses her and her entire family with his dying breath. And then a few days later, the bell dies and her sisters and the rest of the family end up living in poverty, which is yikes. Big yikes there. Yikes, that's a
0: real Age of Ultron scenario. Really raises the bar in terms of, like, the complications of the story. Yeah. I mean, imagine someone telling you that story or you're reading it in a chapter book. And at the end of it, you're like, what? And
1: you're like, why? Everyone's dead and sad now? Huh. Okay. Me too. The brothers Grimm have their own version of the story, of course, called- uh, Julia, the- is is
0: it nasty? Does it get even nastier?
1: No, it's actually like kind of nice, I guess. It's weird. Uh, and you'll see why in a moment. So this story is called The Summer and Winter Garden, in which rather than just a rose, uh, the beauty requests a rose in the winter. And the father is only able to find that rose in a garden where half of the garden is eternal winter and the other half is eternal summer. Oh, shit. My favorite part of this one is when the Belle returns home after attending her father's funeral, because, yeah, he dies in this one, too. <laughs> she finds that the beast is dying beneath, wait for it, a heap of cabbages. Oh, no! For some why? reason. If you are listening to this and you know why there's <laughs> cabbages in this
0: story, please explain it to me. Please tell me. Maybe that they're very common and it's, like, undignified? Maybe. I don't know. Damn,
1: I don't know. So the beauty pulls him out from beneath his pile of cabbages and revives him by pouring water over him, which turns him into the handsome prince. Wow. There's also a Scandinavian version that is almost exactly like the Beaumont version of the story, uh, which is most similar to our Disney movie version. But in this version, he's not a beast, but rather just a horse. Wow. Just... Okay. Yeah. Okay. There's a bunch of Russian and Eastern European versions with various differences like a Ukrainian version where the beast is a giant snake and gives the beauty
0: the ability to revive the dead. I feel like I'm on one of those teacup rides. And every time I make a rotation, I get more little reverberations that make me more and more dizzy. In
1: the Russian, the enchanted Tsarevich, the beast is actually a three-headed winged snake tight as fuck. Tight. And that's just Europe. There's a few Chinese versions of the tale as well that our listeners can really uh, start to dig into. The Fairy Serpent, The King of Snakes, and The Pearl of the Sea. Awesome. There is also a Indonesian version of the story that is about a Latong, which is a species of monkey. The monkey helps a beautiful princess when her sister attempts to steal the throne from her. So the story ends up being kind of just a series of contests to see which daughter deserves to take the throne. And the final of which is the king decides that he will choose for his successor the daughter that has the most handsome fiance, (laughs) which seems like a bad way of doing it, but all right. Okay. So the princess, the main character, chooses the monkey as her fiance because he has been loyal and devoted and has a good heart and people like start mocking her. But the moment she chooses him, the curse on the monkey is broken and he's revealed to be a handsome young man, which allows the princess to win the throne. Damn. It's really cute. I love it. Something I want to note before we wrapped up, most folklorists believe that a lot of these tales were commentary on like arranged marriages which were still fairly common at the time in France when the story was beginning to become popular. And like, as you can see, Amanda, this is an extremely persistent story and obviously a very popular one at that, whether it is a fantastical romance of 362 pages or a moral tale for children, the story of Beauty and the Beast has been told over
0: and over again. I love that we got to see so many versions of it and see which ones persist.
1: Yeah, it was it was great. I know you had some thoughts about the beats of fairy tales and also romance novels. Do you wanna do you wanna talk a little bit about that before we wrap up?
0: Yeah, I was really moved by the sort of montage of Beauty and the Beast falling in love. Mm-hmm. I mentioned to my family that I was watching the movie because it is our dad's favorite, uh, notably, and uh, my sibling Connor was like, "Yeah, the something there sequence is one of the most effective montage sequences ever made. It's a minute and fifty five seconds, and it." cells to total character transformations, which I completely agree with. And for me, the thing I love most about romance novels, I feel like I've said this lots of times, a thing I love a lot about romance novels, love it, is that you can see sort of little interactions that go from hostile or suspicious or fear-inducing to like just little extensions of um, vulnerability or of forgiveness or interest even in the other person. And I thought that it was just very, very effectively done in this movie. Before I rewatched it, you know, just kind of thinking back about what Beauty and the Beast is, it's like, oh, beauty is within, you know? but there really is a lot more. And I think that kind of advice of like, be nice to each other and look for something nice in each other, you know, look for ways that you can share something or show each other something. I don't know, it's it's hard to do in life and sometimes not always safe to do. But when it's possible, you know, seeing that extended toward you and trying to do it toward others, that really adds up to something powerful.
1: Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And I like that the idea of the kind of romance novel from this fantastical romance that was written in the 1700s all the way to the 1991 film the beats are still there you know and it's not just about like oh we're going to rush to the Beaumont version where we're going to rush to the end and you know she returns home and then that is the plot point there and he dies of shame for some reason <laughs> i i really do think that there is there's something beautiful about the beats of that persisting like the idea of romance i guess hasn't changed all that much you know where it's like as long as you are being like vulnerable with a partner and seeing something more than just their outward appearance and finding the good in that person they'll find that they are deserving of love and that you in return are deserving of love and i really do like that part about beauty and the beast
0: and we haven't even touched on Gaston, who is just such a bore, and having Belle be strange because she reads, it's just, it's awesome. And in lots of romance novels, particularly Regency and Victorian ones, it's like, yeah, reading was, you know, kind of suspicious. I saw a lot of, you know, those those same things that I am still finding comfort and entertainment in as an adult represented here as well.
1: You know, that brings up a good point. If Gaston hadn't gotten involved with the plot where it's like, we're going to throw Maurice into the asylum, et cetera, so Belle has to come home, do you think that Belle would have admitted in time her love for the Beast, or do you think she need that catalyst of him like
0: close to death and dying? I think she was getting there. Okay. Uh, whether or not it would have happened before the rose dropped, I don't know. I think that that montage tells us that like they are they were really getting there. I I, I love that she gets to have it all in the end. You know. She
1: does, even though he's
0: less handsome as a person. <laughs> I know. He was hotter as a beast, man. It's,
1: it's weird how he was hotter as a beast. I don't get it. Maybe it's just the the prince that they chose is just so unhandsome that I was like, no, go back to the, the you have more like facial
0: features when you were a beast. I know. He's very generic. looking I mean, so is Belle to a certain extent, but you do get to at least see her personality and her interact. Mm-hmm. They also do that thing that I see all the time in particularly older literature where somebody has like brown hair and they're like a blonde. Like, the prince is blonde and the beast has brown hair. And she, like, touches his hair as if to say, oh, yes, that blonde hair I recognize. Like, did everybody just count anything that was not mahogany or black as blonde? Yeah. Makes no goddamn sense. (laughs) Makes no sense. It really made me laugh.
1: (sighs) Well, thank you for joining me on this revisit. I'm
0: so glad that we got to revisit a movie that, like, really does have some uh,
1: emotional connection to
0: your childhood. It does, and I, I loved the folklore context. I loved being reminded of the the things I love in other stories that I can keep looking for. Uh, and Julia, I, I love that we get to uh, to talk and analyze and laugh together, even if you do have to put animal mashups in there along the way. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had to include it. It was just too to. Buckwild. You have to. It, it, it's our job.
1: And just like it is our job to uh, include <laughs> Buckwild animal mashups, it's also your job, listener, to stay creepy. Stay cool.